In the mid-700s BC, before Christ, the northern part of Israel is carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. In the mid-500 BCs, the southern part of Israel is carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. And the person who leads the Babylonian empire is a demonized king named Nebuchadnezzar. And not only does Nebuchadnezzar carry God's people into slavery, but he destroys their temple. And the people of God are distraught, they're devastated, they're disconnected from their spiritual heritage, their customs have changed, their language has changed, their homeland has been demolished. And in the midst of it, God raises up Ezekiel as a prophetic voice to declare one central truth, which is this, what God will rebuild is greater than what the enemy has destroyed. And I need you to believe this morning that any area of lack or injury in your life that the devil has call, caused simply signifies to heaven an area of abundance that Christ is about to unlock. That's why the apostle Paul says it this way, in my weakness, his strength is made strong or his strength is made manifest. This idea that every area of injury that the enemy has caused to come to me, Christ will repay. Have you had an attack in your health? God will bring you healing. Have you had shame? Scripture says God will bring you double honor. Have you had the canker worm eat your resource and your blessing? Scripture says God will open a window of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. Have you had drama in your family? God will give you sons and daughters as an inheritance. The God that we serve repays twofold everything the enemy has taken. And that's why we believe that your future is brighter than your past. That's why we believe that your past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. You don't have to live there because that story doesn't define you. This story does. It is the story of God's help and God's hope and God's redemption that best identifies not only who you are, but what you are becoming. This is the God that we serve. And in the book of Ezekiel, a number of years after the temple has been destroyed and the people have been carried off into slavery, God raises up Ezekiel as a prophetic voice. And in Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read to you six verses. This is the prophetic message of Ezekiel to God's people. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway. The face is east and there was water running on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits or about 1,500 feet. And he brought me through the waters and the water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured about 1,500 feet and brought me through waters that came up to my knees. And again, he measured and brought me through water that came up to my waist. And again, he measured and it was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought and returned me to the bank of the river. Fred, as I, I, as I have prayed and, and, and sought the Lord for this community, here is what I hear the Lord saying. I have ordained a river to flow from this house and its water will reach dry places. It will not be a gentle stream, but instead a roar of rushing water. This river will not be without consequence because for all who join, their lives will be forever marked. This water will flow from a place of humility and a place of presence. You cannot and will not contain it. It will Defying you, you won't define it. 
This river will consume every other idol, break every barrier, and destroy every objection. And this river will come with divine windows of opportunity for those who wish to join. This river has a voice, and even now it is calling out to those who have stood on the shore for too long. It's time to jump in. The river will make the weak strong, the fearful brave, the depressed joyful, and the dead alive. The river will make you as many enemies as it makes you friends, but as long as you count the cost, it'll be worth it in the end. I have given you people who will labor alongside you, who will wage war in the river until the land radiates with glory. The river will consume both your enemies and your dignity, both your insecurities and your pride, both your failings and your successes. And ultimately, you will be known as one who stewarded a house where God's presence was honored and people came alive. And the river will have its critics, and the river will have its mockers, and the river will have its naysayers. But I will hide you from your enemies until I make them your footstool. And you must never apologize for how the river runs, because you were created for outpouring. And under your children's children, this river will run with fervor until the blessing of God overtakes them. Friend, all over scripture, God uses natural elements to communicate supernatural realities. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell as fire. When Christ was baptized, the Holy Spirit came as a dove. His peace is illustrated as green pastures, his spirit as the wind, his power and his voice as thunder. The apostle John saw a river teeming with life in Revelation 22. The prophet Jeremiah calls God a spring of living water. The prophet Isaiah says God will lead his people by springs of water. Moses makes bitter water sweet so the Hebrew children can drink. Jesus declares himself as living water in John 4. Prophesizes the Holy Spirit about a stream of living water in John 7. The prophet Joel says a fountain shall flow from the house of God. When Christ was pierced, blood and water came out. Blood representing redemption and water representing new life. And all over scripture, what we see is some of these themes repeated and some of these stories repeated and some of these illustrations repeated by which the river that flows from the temple or the house of God represents his anointing, his presence, and an invitation unto encounter. Friend, I have entitled this sermon this morning, The Five Stages of Renewal or the five stages of revival. I'm gonna to try to give it to you as, as, as fast as I can. I know we're, we're running out of time a little bit this morning, but I need you to hear this as a prophetic declaration and invitation for this community in this hour. Friend, what is happening here is not normal. And it's not because we're special, it's because God is. And when God finds a community of people who only have eyes for one thing, what he finds is a house where he can rest. A lot of churches have visitations. We we want the King of Kings to move in and take up residence. Watch what Ezekiel says in verse one. The water comes out from under the threshold of the temple. Friend, you don't get revived until you first have the humility to bow low. This is what Jesus means when he tells his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their great need in this hour, for theirs is the inheritance of heaven. For it's only when you bow low that you can count the cost of what it means to give yourself to an outpouring friend. This will cost you everything. And my fear is that costless Christianity has produced powerless faith in the West. Oh, there is a cost to following Jesus. It looks like taking up your cross and following him. It looks like crucifying your need to self-identify because our identity comes from heaven. It looks like giving up your prerogative to be
or to be liked by everyone around you and instead saying, I have counted the cost and it's worth it to follow Jesus. Now watch, revivals aren't announced because they aren't events to be had. They are rivers to be experienced. And when you keep your ear to the ground, it allows you to hear what other people can't so you can prepare for what others will miss. You always hear the abundance of rain before you ever see a raindrop. I believe that there are five stages to every great outpouring. And the first stage starts when God's people bow low. Watch what else Ezekiel says in verse one. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple to the right or to the south of the altar. I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but every Israelite knew that at the south side of the temple stood the seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands represented the presence and the anointing of an almighty God. Friend, revival isn't a program. It's not a conference or an event or an activity. Revival is a person and his name is Jesus. And every sustainable awakening comes from a temple who has made his lampstand the paramount light in their facility. The presence of God is not the cherry on top of an already full Sunday. It is the source of all transformation, inspiration, and revelation. I am convinced that if we create an atmosphere of honor, God will make this place his home. And in doing so, all of life will revolve around what emanates from his being. And that's the difference between a moment and a movement. We aren't living for a good weekend, but a transformed life. And what do you feel when you walk in these doors? I sense the presence of the Almighty. It's why the church exists. And when the church moves off of its primary focus, it creates a lot of room to argue about things that won't matter in eternity. Like the color of the pews, or the style of the worship, or the dress code of the pastor, or the person that you have to sit next to, or that ministry that might not run exactly as you want it to run, or the fact that we're doing things differently than the last church that you came from. When the focus shifts from the presence, it creates room to be agitated by devil distractions. The primary purpose for the church to exist is to glorify Jesus. And in doing so, allow his presence to transform cities, nations, communities, and families. That's what we're going after. The water comes from the threshold. You don't get it unless you bow low. But then it flows from the altar right past the golden lampstands that represent his light, his anointing, the oil of intimacy and encounter. Now watch, I believe there are five stages to every great outpouring. The first stage starts when God's people bow low. Hear me, the second stage starts when God's people develop an utter desperation for his presence in their lives. The reason why we don't have revival is we're content to live without it. Watch what happens in verse two. He, speaking of the Lord, the Lord is appearing to Ezekiel in a vision and he is taking him by the hand and he is walking him in the spirit around the temple, declaring that the reign of the latter will be greater than the reign of the former. It's destroyed in the natural, but it's being rebuilt in the spiritual. And friend, that's a word from God for somebody in here this morning. You're looking at your life and it looks destroyed, blown to bits. It looks ravaged by the enemy, but what has been destroyed in the natural, God is getting ready to rebuild in the spiritual. Scripture says what 
what can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And I know the house of God doesn't look impressive in the Northwest, but we've got some really good foundations. We've got some water in the ground. We've got some oil in the ground. And we're going to dig until this stream turns into a river. And watch. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water, watch, was trickling from the south side. Don't judge the fullness of the river by the trickle of the stream. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. Your God-given potential might be a seed, but it carries the destiny of a harvest. Your obedience is a seed. Your worship is a seed. Your sacrifice is a seed. Your attendance is a seed. Your hunger is a seed. And no one is ever impressed with the seed, but all of humanity marvels at what it produces. It may start as a, a trickle, but don't despise the day of small beginnings. And friend, it's how we manage the trickle that determines whether or not God can trust us with the stream. Ezekiel doesn't experience the water just yet, but he notices the trickle. There is something intrinsically spiritual about noticing beauty and potential where others don't. Anybody can join what is already going, but something special awaits for those who honor the trickle. The miracles are just starting to begin, so I'm going to honor my way into increase. Watch, let me break off a perspective from you this morning. I'll give God thanks when the miracle impresses me. No, you don't get miracles that impress you until you honor ones that don't impress you. Well, God healed my headache, but what I really want is a healing in my body. Okay, what if you honor the seed that he's planting, God can trust you with the harvest that he's got. And so in our community, what we do is we honor the one, we honor the two, we honor the three, we honor the five, we honor whatever God sees fit to give us in this season. And in doing so, when he sees that we're wise stewards, he can trust us with more. If you'll just start to give God thanks for the little miracle that you're seeing, it will position you for outpouring you can't contain. But until you honor the trickle, God can't give you the stream. I love that Ezekiel notices the trickle, but it's significant enough for him to stop. I believe there are five stages to every great outpouring. The first stage starts when God's people bow low. The second stage starts when God's people develop an utter desperation for his presence in their lives. The third stage starts when God's people begin to honor the trickle. And number four, watch this in verse three. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off 1,500 feet. Led me through water that was ankle deep. Again, measured another 1,500 feet. And now the water was knee deep. And again, the Lord measured off another 1,500 feet. And he led me through water that was up to my waist. The Lord leads Ezekiel 1,500 feet and all of a sudden, the trickle is now a stream that goes to his ankles. It wasn't very deep, but Ezekiel was in it as much as he could be, experiencing all the depth the river had at that point. You must learn the art of serving what is in order to experience what's next. Some people say, I'll only serve when it's fully developed. I'll only get involved when it's perfect. I'll only attend when it feels important. I'll only give when it feels special. But when I find fulfillment in serving the ankle deep version of what God is doing in my life, it always ends up leading to more. Why not just lead Ezekiel to the deep end? Why must God lead him through the process of ankle deep, knee deep, and then waist deep? 
Do you know what causes an appreciation for where you're at? A reflection of what you've been through. See, I remember when it was just a living room. I remember when it was just a rented building. I remember when we didn't have the money to pay the bills or the people to set up chairs. I remember the early days of that job, that marriage, that relationship, that business where I was only ankle deep. But look what the Lord has done. See, the longer you walk, the deeper it gets. You've just got to make a decision to keep remaining thankful but unsatisfied knowing there's more. Those are two things we hold in tension. God, I am so thankful for what you're doing, but I know that there's more. See, some people live their whole lives satisfied and impressed that they've made knee-deep water, not realizing that God has created them with the capacity to swim in the river. And so we hold those two things like opposite sides of the same coin. God, I am thankful, yet I am hungry. God, I am appreciative, but I am unsatisfied knowing that there is something more. I believe there are five stages to every great outpouring. The first stage starts when God's people bow low. The second stage starts when God's people develop an utter desperation for his presence in their lives. The third stage starts when God's people begin to honor the trickle. But the fourth stage starts when God's people recognize the invitation into more. Hear me clearly this morning. My priority is not your safety. It's your development. We are headed towards uncharted waters. And it's not safe, but it's good. Sometimes people in an attempt to sound really pastoral say things like, your safety is our highest priority. I want safety to be the highest priority when I'm getting on a plane. But when I'm going into battle, I want the chief purpose of my gathering to be for my development, for the weaponizing of my warfare, for the building up of my spirit, for the encouraging of my spirit. Why? Because it's not safe where we're going, but it's good. And for some of us, we've traded spiritual advancement for spiritual safety. If I just sit on the sidelines, I won't agitate any devils. Followers make heaven, but disciples make history. What we need in this hour is people who have been discipled into a kingdom that is on offense, not on defense. I'm not trying to protect what is. I'm going after what's next. I know we're in the river. I feel like it's ankle deep. I'm sensing it might even be knee deep. Sometimes it's waist deep, but God built me for the river. And he's built you for the same exact thing. Awakening is not what we visit on a Sunday morning. Revival is not what we visit in a once a year conference, friend. It's who God created us to be. It's our mandate in this hour. And so many churches in the West are asleep as the world goes to hell. And we ought to do more. Because you were created for awakening. And when something awakens inside of you, it awakens in your sphere of influence. And when it awakens in your sphere of influence, it begins to rearrange spiritual principalities and powers in the city in which you live. And I'm not gonna rest 
until what fills this house fills this region. Friend, that's what you're being invited into. It's not to be entertained on Sunday morning. It's not to sing Christian karaoke worship songs on Sunday morning. No, God is preparing you for war. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers in high places. And our weapons are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. The apostle John says of Jesus, for this reason, the son of God was made manifest to dismantle the works of darkness. And if it was that reason that the son of God was made manifest, then it is for this reason that God has given his Holy Spirit to the church to dismantle the works of darkness. It's not enough to project your spiritual fervor on somebody who you think is more talented than you standing on a stage. Something's gotta grip your heart. Man, I was created for more. And watch, verse five, he measured off another 1,500 feet, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. Watch what Ezekiel says. But now it's a river and I can't cross it because I'm not crossing over, I'm diving in. The river is all consuming. You don't move it, it moves you. And as a pastor, I am taking you by the hand and I am leading you to the river and we aren't stopping until you've learned to swim. I believe there are five stages to every great outpouring. The first stage starts when God's people bow low. The second stage starts when God's people develop an utter desperation for his presence in their lives. The third stage starts when God's people begin to honor the trickle. The fourth stage starts when God's people recognize the invitation to more. And the fifth stage, it's the river. And that's where you swim. Let me adhere. Watch what the Lord says in verse six. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. I'm here to ask you pursuit, son of man, do you see this? This isn't common, it's sacred. This isn't normal, it's special. This isn't average, it's spectacular. Not because we're great, but because he is. And God in this hour is drawing near to those who draw near unto him. And I'm issuing, issuing you this morning an invitation to come to the river and be revived. The apostle John says in the book of Revelation chapter 22, that when he saw heaven, he saw a river that proceeds from the throne and it flows all across the world. And every tree planted by the river bears fruit in season and out of season, every month of the year. We haven't been invited to a good weekend. You've been invited to a transformed life. John says it's not the trees that visited the water. It says trees that were planted by the water. 
there's a difference between a house that you visit and a house that you're planted in. See, when you plant, you develop roots. And as those roots grow deep, you tap into what is in the ground. And there is something special in the ground at pursuit. And if you will plant yourself in this house of awakening, I promise you one thing, we're gonna swim in a revival that will transform the region. Come on, Fred, would you stand as we close?